Okay, so I don't really like the character of Valerio. I'm not really happy he's dead, but I don't really like him. My question for you is, in the beginning of Field of Fire, was Bashir hitting on him? Was Valerio a character? Yeah, he was the lieutenant guy that got murdered in the very beginning of the yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, so he was only in this one episode. I think so. Okay. I don't remember seeing him uh, before. I think Bashir was anti-hitting on him because he's like, yeah, you know, you don't get to go into our hollow suite. But he was like talking to him and he was, I think he was hitting on him. Okay. Well. I think Bashir is exploring his um, hetero flexibility. Well, now that he's a super genius and out about that, he might as well be out about other things. Also, I think that uh, really this is kind of a, a, a really gay week. Um, yes. We'll, we'll definitely talk about. Uh, 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 the next episode because that's really gay, yeah. but uh, in a good way. But uh, Field of Fire is, I don't know, it's it's there. It's, it exists. It was a good mystery filler episode, I think. Um, part of the problem is just the situation with Esri Dax and that it is, when, when I have the choice this week between learning more about Ezri Dax and learning more about the big plot about the Changelings and the Dominion War and Bajor and all of that. Right now, it's the last, what do we have, 10, 15 episodes left? We are um, at the, well, just over the halfway point of the season. Yeah, so we're winding down. And And actually, there's really only, I think, two more standalone, quote-unquote, episodes. Because the final past, you know, chunk of episodes is a... It's a big serialized similar to how when they retook uh ds9 for example yep exactly okay um yeah so 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 it's disappointing on that and yeah there is a lot in because we are interested in the character of dax and getting this new facet where a version of dax finally does accept and understand joran Mm -hmm. i mean this episode i really liked him as a character in this one i really liked the way he and Ezri work off each other i thought that was a very I thought it was interesting. He's creepy. The actor does a good job with him. And it is almost a shame that he had – I came away from this episode feeling that he had been underutilized. Duran. Yes. In uh, this episode or in, in general? In general, the, as a character. He's, yeah. so, we've seen him – this is the third time he's appeared, in the, correct? And the first one was when he was starting to awaken in Dax, and we only saw him in flashes, and he was kind of menacing. Um, then we saw it when – Dax. He was also played by a different actor then. I kind of figured that too, yeah. Um, then there was the one, of course, where Dax has the ceremony where she is bringing out her hosts into the different uh, di- different her different friends. And so we see Captain Sisko being Duran. And that's all we've seen of him. We don't actually get to meet him as a character. And now we meet him and I, it, it, it's it's – in the Memory Alpha article for, for this episode, this was written by Robert Hewitt Wolf, who would love okay. to show at this point. And essentially what happened is that um, Iris Stephen Bear had all of his writers working on various episodes. And as we talked about um, last week, Prodigal Daughter was, was kind of a problem episode. So, and they thought it was the weakest one of the, of the season, which is just like crazy to me again. <laughs> but they they didn't have anybody they needed an episode and they didn't have anybody to work on yeah, one yeah, yeah. so so Iris Stephen Bear went back to to Robert Hewitt Wolf and said um can you write an episode yeah. i have this idea and and he said sure so um originally the conception was that that Duran was going to be a a, a holographic representation of, okay. of of her memories and he kind of went away from that idea because it was too hard to get to work cuz you know they couldn't really yeah. walk around the station together and things like that so he he decided on i think what he called like more trill 
mumbo jumbo. Yeah, it, it's it's you know it's interesting because I so I just finished watching Sense Eight and some of the way that the characters are. I'm connected. sorry. I yeah, well. Um, it's very similar to this in which they will have the character who is physically present and then the person who is supposed to be visiting them as a mental projection. And uh, it it worked, like I said, the two of them, I think, in this episode worked very well together. And it is a, there is a degree to which e- this show even finds Duran redeemable. He even has a purpose. He's even able to do things. Um, I mean, I think to a certain degree, Duran, I mean, the the conception of Duran as as originally conceived was interesting. I think the idea that, I mean, you can definitely make the argument that the Symbiosis Commission hiding Duran's memories and 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 having this cover up was was actually worse for Jedzia Dax because she had this experience which was very traumatic. And Esri is in an interesting position because she already knows of the existence of of Duran and yeah. she calls upon him i think very quickly she doesn't really seem to consider this as a bad idea and and i don't know if it is a bad idea because of course duran is not actually there but but she is influenced by him she she almost does you know he almost gets her to kill somebody even though the gun isn't loaded i mean she thought she was going to kill somebody and what i but but it's more interesting to me because of what it says about esri which is that you know, like you said, it is – I don't know if it's really sad, but it is sort of um, a missed opportunity that, you know, we get this new character and we only have a season to establish her. And so uh, they need to spend a lot of time with yeah. this new character when, you know, is that the best use of the time in the last season of the show? Eh, I don't know. But it does say something about Esri in this episode, which is that I think she is – Almost, um, she's trying to prove herself to a degree, which yeah. I don't think Jadzia ever really did. Well, Jadzia had, in a way, already gone through proving herself. When she talks about how she washed out of the program and went back, that was her moment when she was insecure. If we had met Jadzia at that time, she may have been very much like Esri. But by the time True. that we got to know Jadzia, she had already figured her stuff out. And even though, yes, she had moments where she grew as a person, still they were... She was an adult at that point. Esri is, again, legally adult. She's in her early 20s. She's a professional, but she's still kind of making that – she's still making that leap from young adulthood to full-on adulthood mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, I mean, interestingly enough, she's she's not really that much older than than Alario. And, yeah. it, it, you know, it's funny because in the first, the first beginning of the episode when she says, oh, well, you know, I've, I've uh, uh, escorted my, my share of drunken ensigns to their quarters <laughs> in my time – I don't think that's Esri saying that, right? I mean, well, because then she immediately jokes like, "Remind me, I'll tell you about, uh, you know, someone named Ben Cisco." Like, so right. she's obviously talking about, you know, her her days as Curzon and escorting drunk boys home as, you know, all right, I'm your friend. Probably Jadzia had a few other moments similar to Esri is now and. You know, given what we know about Jadzia, she probably had her share of times when she was drunk too, and she and the, you know, Ensign were coming home together. Like that, that's been. Yeah. I bet she did. Yeah. Um, no, I guess what's interesting about this is that this this episode might not have been able to happen if Esri had been better trained mm-hmm. in how to be a trill. Um, because Joran says that both Curzon and Jadzia 
kind of pushed him down. Jadzia, especially by the time she became aware of— Which is not really accurate, though, because— yeah. Curzon didn't know about no, of course Joran. So that's a little bit of a weird. I mean, I think that they forgot about that, but that's I, fine. It, on the one hand, it, it, it's partially forgot about it. On the other, it does seem like a slight retcon for the for purpose of the episode and just to make the line. You know, Curzon didn't even know about me, and Jadzia push. You know, is not as snappy of a line. But either way, Curzon and Jadzia, whether or not they knew about Joran had the discipline where they were and were used to their mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ability. So when Jadzia was confronted with Joanne, well, she'd already knew how to kind of wrangle her previous hosts. Sure, sure. And Esri is somebody who doesn't, and so you get the it's it's almost as if because Esri has been taken over by certain personalities, even for things as simple as, you know, what drinks to order. And so I think she has I don't know if she's been taken over. Yeah, I, yeah I, taken I, I, over. Their their whims have kind of led a little more than Esri's whims. Mm-hmm. And again, as Jadzia has explained it, it is a matter of, you know, coming up with a consensus, but you're still in charge. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing is, I mean, you know, I, I don't know that I want to get on a road of talking about, you know, what, what Trill Symbiosis yes, actually is like. I mean, although then again, this may be our only opportunity to do that or our last opportunity to do that. But, and I also know that in a lot of ways, I am speaking from having just done the United States of Terra in some <laughs> ways. And yeah, so yeah. It, it, there there is a degree to which uh, dissociative identity disorder, as it is on that show, has some resonances with what it is like being a trill, but yeah, I think that's true. And so I, I, I guess I'm I'm just, I'm going since um, United States of Tara went into detail about the mechanics of how that works psychologically for her. I am kind of extrapolating. Yeah, and if you'd like to hear us talk about the United States of Tara, just head over for tuninginshow.com, where we're starting the third season in two days. Nice syn- synergy or symbiosis. But I, but I think that what, what this episode makes me think about, because I've changed my conception or, or my kind of my idea about what Trill uh, a symbiosis yeah. is like. And I don't really think now that the the symbiote actually has any control over what the host does. I, it, it's a personality meld first and foremost. Yeah. I, I kind of get the impression that the symbiote is there to to experience life and certainly the the personality and the memories of the symbiote uh do affect the host and it it becomes more of a different uh a personality but i don't really think that the, the symbiote can actually like take control no. of the host or anything like that I, unless I, unless of course the host does one of those dax you know uh, a trill uh, a mumbo jumbo sort of mystical hoodie yeah. stuff and and can allow the host um to be taken over by the symbiote but but it seems to me that like you know, one of the things that Esri has always had a problem with is the memories of and the desires and the habits of her her symbiote as embodied by the memories, controlling those impulses more than it yeah. is the symbiote actually taking control of Esri and ordering a Ractagino, for example. Yes, for in, in that it does more seem like, hey, you're going to the coffee shop, you kind of rattle off your order, and it's it's a, it's almost a reflex action and – it, she, she at sometimes has trouble knowing which reflex to do or which I, I I don't know I've I've in my mind likened it to you know a computer and you have all these files on it and then you copy all those files to a bigger hard drive and such um and so there are all the same files that Duran had and that Jadzia had sure. and that you still have access to those memories those 
abilities, those uh, bits of intellectual knowledge. But I, I think for Jadzia and Curzon, those memories were a little were for Esri, they're a little closer to the surface, I think, at times, and she has trouble putting them into their proper balance. And, you know, we, we can say that, yes, Jadzia and Curzon figured out how to put the memories in their proper places, and Joran's were way at the bottom. Well, uh, Esri hasn't really organized her brain as much at this point, and so the Joran files are kind of closer to the top. And yeah. I think during this one, the Joran file comes up in a way that it never would have for Jedzia or Curzon. And that said, well, Esri does prove to be the person who's able to draw strength from him, but still put him in his place. Sure, but I, I, I guess, I mean, I agree with all that, but I think that that my, my question for, for you is... Is it is it a wise idea for Esri to to what is it called the right of right of uh, something I don't know yeah, I, I sure. wrote it down but it's you know some trill thing trill juju right uh, is it a wise idea for her to she has had trouble controlling her memories she has had trouble with impulses yeah. that the the symbiote has so I wonder like as she gets more control over it as she seems to start to get a handle on this. Um, is it a good idea for her to not only access the memories of of Duran, which was a you know a homicidal yes. sociopath, but but embody him in this ritual and and have him be around for her to talk to? I I, I don't know if that yeah. seems the this uh, she seems like she's the kind of person that um, I've got this all figured out now, and she she really doesn't. Well, I mean this episode. Except, you know, do, doing whatever with Duran in this episode is, it, you know, she's she's in she's in a dungeon that's maybe a couple levels where she should be at this point. She is punching slightly above her weight. But that said, in this ep- – and for example, the part with the knife with the Klingon and something, that's a moment where if she weren't – if she hadn't been restrained at the end, she would have stabbed that guy to death. That would have been – you know, she was unable to control it. But that said, by the end, she is able to wrestle. And so I think she... Well, she's able to control it. I mean, she she doesn't yeah. pull the trigger. She doesn't stab the Klingon. Yeah. I mean, she is able to control it. It's not like she's completely losing control. So I no. think on, on, on the one hand, you could say, yes, okay, Ezra's got this. Like, she, she does, in effect, do what she set out yeah. to do. She is able to use Duran's knowledge of how a, a murderer would think yes. to catch the murderer. And more and, importantly, she learns how to wrangle Duran properly. Again, if by the beginning of this episode she wasn't quite able to do that, she needed to go through the challenge of this episode in order to get to that point. Right. And, so, and I and, and I don't think that, you know, the episode really could have gone any other way. I mean, I don't think yeah. that this episode would have gone down a road of having Esri murder someone. That that's just not going to happen. And no. so, yeah, of course she's going to be able to to use the memories to get the murderer. Like that seems a little bit I mean, because that's the thing is, you know, we can talk about Esri, we can talk about where she's going and stuff, but at the end of the day, the episode Aside from the, the the mystery of who exactly is is killing these people, um, you know, I, I don't know that it's that surprising. No, I mean the mystery in general is the excuse for it, it, it's really the hook on which they place all of these scenes between Ezri and Duran. And again, I thought with the way that the two actors work, they were very effective scenes. Yeah. For, from a, I mean, we're learning a way. For, we learned from this episode this, something kind of surprising, a way in which 
Esri is kind of stronger than Curzon or Jadzia. This is one challenge that Jadzia was not able to face. As that's true. As brave and capable as Jadzia was, she was never fully comfortable with the existence of Duran. Even though Esri has her problems, and I mean, she's a counselor. She is able to, you know, mm-hmm. being in the, you know, maybe being in the situation with somebody who is a homicidal murderer is not something that she personally has been in Mm -hmm. as a ship's counselor she's dealing more with stress and you know homesickness and stuff like that but and also i mean frankly i i i think that that you know homicidal sociopaths are not that common anymore well as they and as they make it very you know they they say several times in this episode starfleet officers don't go around Killing each other, and though obviously this episode we meet one of the exceptions, it proves the rule. For the mo- we uh, we really don't see Starfleet officers killing each other in the same way that if it were a Klingon, you know, getting killed, we wouldn't. That would not be an unusual situation. Yeah. So yeah, she's not dealing with stuff of this magnitude usually. But that said, she is still trained to deal with very different types of people and very different psychologies and to have the upper hand in these dealings. Well, yeah, I think so. And and also, I mean, you know, what that makes me think of is, is you know, like you said, um, Jadzia would not do this, right? Yeah. Uh, Jadzia was not, I mean, she was not an investigator. I mean, Ezra doing this kind of makes a little bit of sense yeah. because, you know, Cisco is using her abilities as a counselor, her training as, as a psychologist. Yeah. Uh, to to get into the head of the of the murderer, and so you know if she's not a forensic psychologist, okay, that it's a little bit of a cheat, but whatever. Um, Jadzia was not going to do this, yeah. And I think that that what what's key for me is the scene where Esri is walking around the promenade at night, and and Worf is is essentially shadowing yeah. her. And what, what's interesting to me about that scene is that the two characters are in very different places in terms of their interpretation of of each other um Worf is I think Worf sees Ezri as much weaker than Jadzia yeah and I think that primarily he sees her as weaker because she's she's just physically smaller than Jadzia and I think really that and to be fair you know Jadzia had proven herself in combat many times which is something that Ezri hasn't gotten to yet so you know even if Esri were not, you know, worse of a similar build as Jadzia. She still hasn't shown herself to be. She isn't a warrior. Sure, but, sure. But but, but I think that, that what's interesting to me about that is that, yeah, Esri might be physically weaker than Jadzia, but I, I think that you yeah. could definitely make an argument that she is psychologically stronger than Jadzia. And so Worf is almost, you know, protecting the wrong person. Yeah, in fact. <laughs> yeah that's, 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 that's true. I mean, it's, yeah, we, we are learning about the differences between... Ezri and Jadzia, certainly, and 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 they're. I know initially Ezri gets the feeling that she was the wrong one for this host, you know, because who is she? She was just a junior counselor on on a right. ship. But again, given that this is an area where Ezri is showing much more insight than Jadzia did, uh, it, it is proving to be another asset of skills to give to her. I guess, yeah. Well, moving aside from from the Esri character stuff in the episode, what did you make of the actual construction of the mystery of the episode? And and specifically, 
Well, two things. Number one, um, the the way in which they were being murdered, and also the revelation that the murderer is a Vulcan. Yeah. Again, the mystery in itself is it, this isn't a fair play mystery. You're not going to be able to guess the solution from the clues that are given you in this, for example. Um, from well, well I, I disagree with that slightly. Well, I mean, given I, that we don't know the existence of this Klingon officer uh, the, of this Vulcan officer at the ending until. You know, it's not like we have – it's not like, for example, there's six subjects and one of them is the Vulcan and we have the in, – In terms of like a classic mystery structure, certainly we were not introduced no. to a person who could be the murderer. But I think but, that but, – But that said, in, in terms of how it's constructed, yes, we may not be able to know that a bullet can be told. But I believe that this cr- this crime could have happened in this way and – whether it could happen for these reasons, I don't know. It is very interesting seeing a Vulcan villain and somebody who is, you know, I don't know if he's a villain. I mean, he's kind he of more... killed a bunch of people for no real reason. Yeah, but he's psychologically damaged. So I think that you know, well, I mean, certainly, he, certainly, this is not a good thing he did. Fair, but... fair, fair enough. Um, the antagonist of the episode, the murderer, whoever. Um, whether well, I, I. I I'm not sure necessarily whether I buy – but I do like that this is – you know, typically when you when you think of the person who is psychologically damaged mm-hmm. and, you know, kills a bunch of people, you have a you – have a, I think about that all the time. I do too. You have um, – especially because we, you know, elected somebody psychologically damaged for president. But um, we we have one image in mind and we've never seen a, a – we've never seen a damaged Vulcan, I guess. And I mean, his line at the end, why did you do it? Because logic demanded it. That's really like it. it it's a line that makes no sense whatsoever mm-hmm. because there is no logic behind this. It's, no. They, a, and yet for him, he is so convinced of the logic of it. And I mean, I think that, you know, I don't know. I, I, I struggle with it only because I think that it works much better on the first viewing. It's like, yeah, hey, a Vulcan can be a sociopathic. No. And, and I do. And, I Yeah. You know what? Once you once you get that out of the way, and it's surprising that it's a Vulcan. Um, I, I don't know that there's much else to to really do with it. I, I think that it's kind of um, it's very surfacey in, in in effect. Well, it, I, it, they kind of went with, oh, let's see a Vulcan who is psychologically damaged. All right, but you know what? What are they really saying about that? Not much. And I think that you know, if, again, if you look at the Memory Alpha article for for this episode. Um, one of the things that Wolf said was, oh, you know, look at how damaged the war is making everyone. And I think that's a little bit of a stretch. I, I don't I don't really see that the episode has made a strong argument for the fact yeah. that this is some sort of PTSD from the war. Certainly they do say, yes, he was on the ship that was destroyed and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I mean, eh. Yeah. That, it's, it's a little bit of a reach for me. It seems and, like they're trying to connect it to the larger story. Well, there's also... In a way that's not really justified. They're psychologically damaged from the war, and then there's coolly and methodically murdering random people. Right. So, you know, on on that level, that, that is fair. Yeah, again, it, it wasn't the... The the mystery was interesting enough, but the mystery was almost the B plot to the uh, yeah I think A that's plot true. Of, yeah. you know this burgeoning relationship be- and the acceptance between uh be- between Ezri and Joran and yeah that was the real story if you know the rest was the equivalent of Nog making a bunch of trades you know and if at the end of the day we couldn't follow it you know it was entertaining enough and it had a satisfying resolution yeah. 
had a good beat and you could dance to it. Well, I think that, I mean, you had a couple of good scenes. I mean, I, I, I'm a fan of the scene where, you know, O'Brien uh, does the demonstration for, for how he yeah. thinks the murderer is killing people with, with Odo and, and Esri. And also, interestingly enough, I, I do think it's um, a kind of amusing that uh, the show even forgets that Odo was a changeling, uh, especially in Light of Chimera, because he puts on goggles and it's like, <laughs> why? <laughs> he doesn't have eyes. Uh but whatever um, for his dignity, <laughs> sure. But I, but I think that it, it, it's it's a solid episode. If it's not the best thing I've ever seen, yeah, it's it's entertaining enough, and I think it's it does have a lot of good stuff with Ezri. And I think that I, I think this might be the last Ezri centric okay. episode we get. But certainly, I mean, she's not disappearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but it's so. not. You know, this is we we've learned the much we're going to learn about Ezri. I think that this episode, more than any other, makes me wish that we had more time with Ezri. Yes, that is fair. If, you know, Dax had an, you know, it was great to have Dax for as long as we did, but if, you know, we got Ezri in season five or even season six and had a couple seasons with her, knew she would be there for a little while. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Well, either way, it was a great amuse bouche for the real meat that is this next episode. Yeah. Okay. This episode made me realize something about DS9 in that from a certain light, Odo is the main character. Okay. In terms of, I mean, Sisko is certainly one of the most important characters in in the world of DS9 in terms of the overall plot, but, uh, and, and certainly the show does very well with its ensemble, but in terms of connection to everything that's going on, Odo is the one who really has the most and who's, in a way, his ending, his ep- whatever epilogue he's going to get is, for me, the most significant question. Here's another, you know, we had that episode uh, in Treachery Faith in the Great River. We learned that the changelings are dying and mm-hmm. that perhaps one of the endings for Odo is that he assumes the role of the new founders mm-hmm. and directs the Dominion. And here we have another possibility where he and Laz go off and they're finding the 100 and they're starting their own changeling society. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess whatever decision Odo makes is going to have maybe the, some of the furthest reaching consequences. Yeah, certainly in a way, I, I think that's true. And, and Chimera is an interesting episode for me because, well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think that um, the show is obviously setting something up here. And yes. it, 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 it's obviously going back to the idea that, that Odo has never really been uh, super comfortable uh, living on DS9, yeah. super comfortable living around humanoids. And, you know, if it does sell the idea that that um, all the all the characters on the station, you know, secretly hate Odo, well, okay. I mean, I, I don't think it's a perfect episode. No. But um, the other thing that I think is 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 really, I don't know if weird is the right word, but but certainly I'll use the word weird, is Odo is the only, Odo is the only changeling we've ever seen that, that actually likes humanoids. And, yeah. and this episode makes the argument that that's because he hasn't been around them long enough, which is kind of strange. Well, we really, you know, it, it isn't until this episode that we realize that in the grand, ske- grand scheme of things, Odo is extremely young. I mean, he says he's yeah. only, he says he's only been around for about thirty years, which is older than Rene Albertinois is. You know, we we assume that what? What? No, he's not. <laughs> what are you talking about? Rene Albertinois is like fifty. Yeah, thirty is younger than. Oh, you said older. Okay, oh, sorry. I, um, I was confused. <laughs> I, I meant to say older. You know. Anyway, the the actor is older than the character. We I've always assumed. 
in terms of, you know, obviously it's hard to age the characters yeah. given that they're aliens, but you assume that he's supposed to be somebody who is, you know, a, a mature adult, uh, you know, at that point. And now we learn that he's young. I mean, compared to Laz, who is mentions 200 centuries very casually, 200 years very casually, uh, Odo's kind of a teenager in some ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, this episode more than anything reminded me of growing up gay in New Jersey. Uh, what it is like to be queer in a heteronormative society and what it is like to want that lifestyle and to be comfortable. You know, what does it mean that you're comfortable in that kind of a life? How do you, as somebody who's gay or any minority really, but, um, you know, this, this same could work as somebody who's black and mostly white culture, for example, um, to know that you're different, to have people who one of the things I actually think it's a little different than that well, because well one of the things about I mean you know definitely I'm glad you brought it the gay angle because this is very much a a yeah weird queer pride episode in a weird way um and I kind of forgot about that yeah <laughs> I mean even to the point where they say like don't have a changeling pride no no this episode makes like, the okay. subtext text in some ways but yeah, which is kind of a problem with DS9 Season 7 in general, but, you know, it's getting a bit didactic, but that's fine. Um, is that uh, I, I disagree with you slightly because I think that one of the one of the differences in um, being queer as opposed to being any other minority is that, um, with the exception of perhaps being trans, is that your family is also that thing. And you do yes. have a some sort of history, some sort of... of, of uh, a connection, con- yeah, that's connection true. to to that minority culture that that you don't have when you grow up um, in a straight household. No, no, it's true. You, and so you, you, you've seen your parents, and you know the, you're you're black, they're black. That's but but you until I was older, I really never even saw other gay people. Right, and so and so I think that it's you know with Odo and with with hmm. Laz now, it is that kind of thing where where Odo has had to construct his own culture and. Yeah. He, what what he has chosen to do is really uh, emulate uh, humanoids to a yeah. large degree. Now, I don't know. You know, it's it's always difficult for me because I I, I don't know to what degree um, we're really supposed to take a lot of this uh, 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 super seriously or at face value because the episode as constructed actually was a lot more on the side of they had a whole scene where Cisco was going to come to Odo and basically say like Yeah, humanoids are all racist and. That would have been awful. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't do that. I think that having Quark kind of say that is is number one. It makes sense because Quark is a little That's, horrible, and um, but Quark to be the one who thinks that and is a Quark is crass enough to say that out loud to say that so plainly to Odo. Nobody else would ever be that blunt about how you know even if it's true it's not true that every single person feels that way even if it's a smaller amount of people nobody's everyone's too polite to say that except for quark yeah yeah i i think that that i mean i like this episode a lot and i think there's a lot to talk about but but the primary tension for me with this episode is that it is it is trying to be too very different yeah. things that I don't know you can really do, which is that it is trying to tell a very classic Star Trek allegorical story about about gay pride, essentially. Yeah. And it's also a very, very mythology-heavy, serialization-heavy, plot-heavy episode 
about Odo and the rest of the cast. And yeah. I don't know that those two things really work that well together because the reason why the allegory stories on Star Trek generally work is that they're told by guest stars. Yeah. And having Odo be part of that story, having Odo question his really his belonging in, yeah. in the environment in which he has lived for all of his his life, his conscious life essentially. I, I don't know that it works that well because it paints it 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 paints everything that has happened to Odo and it paints these characters in a weird light yeah. that I don't know is really justified by the previous six and a half seasons of the show. Maybe this could have come earlier and it would have made a little more sense. Um I mean, certainly I appreciate the fact that the show has has not forgotten that the the um, founders sent out these hundred yeah. changelings. And, you know, were you expecting them to bring it up again? I, I mean, I certainly, you know, the first time I ever watched the show, I had sort of forgotten about that concept. Yeah. And I thought the show had too. And then suddenly here you are in the back half of the last season and all of a sudden it comes up again. I mean, part of the implication, I mean, now we've seen three of them, Odo, the baby one, and Laz. But and we don't know if the baby one was really one of the that, That's though. That's fair. Um, I thought part of the implication was that and something might have happened to members of the 100. So I, I think in, I, you're, you're right. This show needs to – Odo is – although at this point he could have gone off with Laz, I thought that that was – that at least was on the table given how late in the series we are. And frankly, if if Odo were to go off with Laz, we, you know, I know from a meta view, all right, well, he's just going to sit the next three or four episodes out and then appear in the finale arc. So, it, you know, he's able to do that. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of a false choice because there's no way that Odo is going to do this. Yes. I mean, you don't you don't make it through six and a half years of a show and then suddenly disappear in the last like 10 episodes. It just doesn't, you know, they don't do that. And so what it says is that. I, I, I guess at the end of the day, even though this does have a lot of very astute queer ref, queer insight, um, I do feel like this is still written by a straight person for straight people, and therefore it ends with the it, – it, it, Odo's dilemma he's in that as Laz sees it is that he either has the opportunity to que- create a his own society with his brethren and sistren and – be among people who understand him intimately, are made of the same stuff as him, and can actually communicate well, or he can have the life that he's had where he has to conform to a bun- he, he he essentially has to live a heteronormative style life. He has to a human humanoid humanoid normative. Um, in a lot of ways. You know, Laz is the person who's saying, no, move to the city and we'll just, you know, we'll we'll, we'll form an art house. And Odo is saying, well, no, I'm going to join GLAD and, you know, fight for gay marriage and get my little house and adopt my kids. And the episode certainly ends with the, well, yes, everybody is welcome to get married and have kids and have that house. And that's really, you know, it's okay and it's sad that Laz isn't seeing that. But, you know, I hope he finds his path. But it's great that Odo's come home. And it's in a way which validates that heteronormativity at the end of the day. Maybe. I I don't know. I think it's – I don't know that the episode is really – 
clear about what it's trying to say. Which is and part of the – which does fall under written by straight people for straight people. Sure. I mean, I, I, I think that um, – I mean, I, I have to be honest. I was shocked that they went this far, you know, thematically. Like, uh, they were – this episode felt right in a lot of ways. I've had these kinds of conversations with people so many yeah. times. I mean, the the way that, for example, being fog and, you know, linking on the promenade is used to symbolize PDA or wearing a rainbow flag in public or whatever um, – being, you know, what degree is it, it, it? Is it okay to be visible in public? You know, are people only accepting of gay people if they're invisible? For example, um, yeah, and certainly that was more true twenty years ago than it is now. Yes. Although I, I don't know that I would make out with the, another dude in Kansas, yeah, um, in the middle of the mall still. Um, but I, I do think that I mean, for for me. I see I see your point and I, I, I see the point of Odo and Laz in this episode. I think that, you know, obviously, like you said, Laz is the I mean, if we can go back to United States of Terra again. Yeah. You know, Laz is the Lionel of this episode yeah. and, and Odo is the Marshal of this episode. And if you don't know what we're talking about, you should go to tuninginshow.com and listen <laughs> to our United States of Terra podcasts. But um, I, and I think that certainly Odo um, has been given a lot to think about. And I think that. The episode has really gone very, very baldly into state. I mean, you know, Cisco says, uh, well, it's not illegal for him to do that, but maybe it's not a good idea, which is very similar to the arguments that um, people would make against uh, gay people holding hands and, and you know, yeah. PDA and all that kind of stuff. You know, don't don't shove it in our face kind of stuff. That and, said, there is a very demonstrable difference between two guys holding hands and somebody fogging up the entire promenade. I mean, what damage is he really doing? No, that? And, and and that's fair. I mean, but I I I guess just in terms. I of... I mean, that, that, the, the episode is 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 definitely um, queered, haha, by the fact yeah. that that Laz is kind of an asshole, and yeah. and nobody likes him, right? I mean, I don't even know that Odo really likes him, and I think Odo was intrigued by him, which is very different. Um, I mean, well, because he's meeting another changeling who's not a founder. He's never met another changeling who's not a founder. Well, he's really hungry for um, he's hungry for cock. No, he's huh. he's hungry for for changeling. And you know, I think huh. that there's a real argument to be made that um, you know the great link in effect is uh, you know is 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 queer sex or something. Yeah. I mean, at least in this episode, I think you can make that argument certainly. And it's it's always been extraordinarily eroticized, and this yeah. is in a way making it. By not making it heterosexual, by, by by having Odo link, have, has now linked with somebody who is both appearing male and both appearing female, um, it turns it into a gender-neutral form of sex, which by definition becomes a queer sex in a way. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think that the, the scene with Odo and Laz linking is, yeah. is you know, really eroticized. But I, I also think, which is you know shocking for for DS Nine, I think because yeah, you know, one thing that that Star Trek has never really been comfortable with is is um, you know gay male sexuality. But I do think that, I mean I, I sympathize with Laz, of course, because yeah, you know I as I've gotten older, I don't really have patience for straight people and yeah. I, I don't really choose to hang out with them if I can avoid it. Um, not to say that I don't like straight people, y'all are fine, but you know just stay stay over there and we'll all be happier. Uh, you know, I think that there is an element to which Laz is is correct that Odo has really subsumed his nature, and mm. you know, certainly he has his little changeling, um, you know, exercise equipment in his quarters. But 
it's in his quarters. He's not really doing yeah. a lot of stuff. I mean, he does shapeshift sometime on the station. He hasn't done it in a while. And that's but, usually very contained and usually very moment-specific. And it's usually in service of a goal rather than just for its own self. Again, uh, Laz being Fog is not because Fog is needed for any particular moment. He's just delighting in the process of being Fog. I mean... The end of the episode when we see Odo becoming light is is one of the few, you know, we, we've – or when he became – there was an episode where he became the bird for that one girl. Yeah. Like there are few moments where we see Odo delighting in shape-shifting and that's one, one thing that Laz does, does more, more than Odo does is just shape-shift for pure enjoyment. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, that Odo obviously doesn't – I don't know that Odo really – knows if he finds shape-shifting enjoyable or not. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that he does it enough. And and it's kind of weird, right? I mean, I, I think that, I don't know, Laz is... I mean, we have to t- talk about the fact that he murdered someone, of course, because that is the key turning point for the episode. Yeah. And I think that's where your sympathies really go, not towards Laz. I mean, I, I think it's interesting that the episode, and I think it's a, a, a bold choice for the episode to make Laz so unlikable and for Laz to murder someone. And for him not to really even care that much. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't, you know, to be clear, Odo seems to be making the argument that Laz killed someone in self-defense, which, to be clear, is a bullshit argument. Yeah. Laz was not in danger at all. And, I mean, if you we see what happens and Laz yeah. just pokes him in the chest and he dies. I mean, Well, Cisco like, po- immediately points that out and says, yeah, the Klingon said that they, you know, the, everybody knows that, that that that's such a bullshit response. Everyone's already anticipated it, for example. Right, right. And and so it, it is, I mean, obviously that that is in the episode to to raise the stakes and to elevate yeah. the end of the, of the episode, which, which is Kara's choice to help Laz escape. And, you know, it is a very Star Trek sort of ending. I think that the structure of the episode works really well, and it does go a little bit, you know, it does go a little bit, um, it is trying to do a little bit too much at once, I think, like I said before, where it's trying to be this allegory about, you know, LGBT yeah. issues, and then it's also trying to tell a story about Odo and Kira. But I, I, I think that this episode does go a long way towards selling the Kira and Odo relationship, yes. I think, more than any other episode. And I don't know that, I mean, I don't necessarily have a problem with them being in, in a relationship, and I honestly think that um, Kira and, and well, you know, let Rene Bourgeois and, and Nana Visitor have much more chemistry than Nana Visitor ever had with any of the other yes. dudes that she dated. But I think that it is difficult to square the circle of Kira deciding to let Laz escape and, and send Odo away as some sort of final grand loving gesture when their relationship hasn't really seemed real to me yeah. ever. Yeah. I don't know. Well, on the one hand, it is that may be partially Kira recognizing that she may not be able to be able to provide and fulfill Odo in the way that the person that he is going to be partnered with ought to. And so so I I got the sense part of it was coming from that motivation. Um yes, Kira may n- no matter what their relationship is going to end, be ending. This is the right decision for Kira to make, whether or not she. You know, she does come to the point where either I'm either we're not really right for each other, and so I have to let him go, or 
he's going to come back, but I have to let him go either way, which turns out to be the you know, case, obviously. And I mean, I think that, you know, it is it is difficult to talk about because the episode does make it clear, I think, that Odo has, you know, grounded himself more in, in being a humanoid. And he has yeah. really not consciously gone out of his way to hide his his changelingness, but but he has done it. And I, I think that what, what Kira deciding to help Laz escape is really about, because obviously I don't think she likes Laz. Yeah. But I don't think anybody likes Laz. But I, I think that... But I think she also does recognize... Well, uh, Kira is somebody who grew up in a Bajoran refugee camp, and she knows that when one is pushed to a desperate spot, but one is not going to be the nicest and most pleasant person. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and yeah. so I think she does recognize that, yes, he's an asshole, though he has some possibly good reasons for being an asshole. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that that's true. And I think that Kira letting him escape or helping him escape is is really about Kira's realization that, that Odo has been hiding, you know, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. the real Odo. And... You know that I think well key to that is that scene with Kira and Odo where she says, "Well, it, this is you. You know, you've chosen to be this yeah. man." And Odo says, "Well, this is not me. You know, like you don't really know what the real me is. You can never know what the real me is because you can't link with me." And but that's then but but the question with that scene that I think Odo begins to think about is 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 looking like Rene Auberjonois makeup and walking around and wearing that outfit. Is that a facade that is putting on, or is that an ex- an outward expression of the real Odo? In other words, you know, none of us can perfectly show another person what is inside of us, but we are able to express that. And just as Odo, you know, recognizes a deeper expression of who he is and the feelings that he has for Kira by, again, turning into light in the end of that episode— I mean, maybe. Well, certainly I think that, yes, that's true. But at the same time, I think it is demonstrably true that Odo... Odo's default setting is is the Great Link. And yes. there is no way for Kira to ever link. Now, you know, maybe there is. I don't know. I think that, you know, certainly the show could go down a road of, of having Odo figure yes. out a way for him and Kira to be, you know... I mean, this is a universe where telepathy exists yes so it's not like but but i think this is unheard of the episode also goes into when you know laz says at one point you've given up a right after he links you've given up a great deal just to be with kira and odo acknowledges that and at the end odo stays having made certain sacrifices for her there is a degree where all relationships require a degree of sacrifice, and so if, well, sure, yeah. if Odo's sacrifice for Kira is giving up the Great Link for the next 50 years to be with her, I think Odo is coming at – Odo questions through this episode, is that worth it? And I think at the end he comes to a resounding, yes, my – I am here because of choice. I'm not here because of default setting. I'm not looking like that because I don't know no other way to be. This is how I can express myself to you. If I can't 100% express myself, that's okay because we are able to understand each other anyway. I mean, yeah. The, w- when, at one point, Laz says something like, well, you know, your best case scenario is you're going to see her grow old and die. Well, that's the best case scenario for any of us going into a relationship, right? I mean, yeah, especially I... in this universe where we have a bunch of characters who, being in different species, 
have certain longer lives. I mean, that's, this is not that different from what Dax is going through or for even with Sarek and Amanda, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this is – that is an unfortunate – it's a pain. It's something that is going to hurt. You know, No matter what, Odo does know that with Kira, whether he's faced that fact or not, he it is in the back of his mind, but – Laz seems to feel that the suffering is great enough that it's not worth making that risk. I think Odo comes to the end of this episode realizing that, to a degree, it's better to love than lost than never to have loved at all. What matters is that he you has— write that down. I, I, I should. Um, well, I think—I mean, not to cut you off, but I, th- I think that, you know, I think all that is true. But for for me— I, I still come back to the idea that 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 quark speech about you know yeah. look our our level of tolerance is two arms and two hands and and two legs and you know I, I don't think that's true I mean I think that Odo certainly Laz has I mean we don't know anything about the the culture of this planet Valera like yeah. it might just be horrible who knows I mean yeah. certainly the Federation is not horrible and certainly the Federation does have these ideals of of tolerance and diversity and you know we know that the Federation and Federation citizens and Starfleet are not just um, tolerant of humanoids because, you know, going back to the devil in the dark with the Horda, I mean, yeah. you know, this is something that is baked into the DNA of Star Trek and baked into the DNA of, of the Federation. Yeah. And so, you know, certainly I think DS9 is making arguments, you know, for or against that in terms of how, how, how far does this go and how far does this go with other alien cultures? But at the end of the day, I don't really get a sense from this episode that that Laz is right. I don't. Yeah. I don't I really mean, we, get a sense that Odo is right or wrong. But we have to be. We have to remember that we are in the middle of a something that is essentially a holy war right, right now. I mean the the. It's a very weird time politically to be a changeling at the if if. Last had come by in season one, he may have gotten a different reception. I mean, at, at the very beginning of the episode, we see, you know we we see O'Brien pulling a gun on him when he realizes he's a changeling right, because right. every changeling they've met has been dangerous, and a changeling getting into a Federation ship is a very bad thing. You know, he even tries to explain that to Laz, who's having none of it, and again, he's at. I think in this episode, it's very unfortunate that the gang has low benefit of the doubt right now. And he, Laz kind of does sap the goodwill there. Yeah. It's It's a perfect storm. I I think that is, it's a clusterfuck in a lot of ways. Um, Well, well, I think what I'm, what I'm left with too, is the, the, the idea that Odo would have left if it wasn't for Kira and that, he would have left as early as, you know, like the fourth season, if it wasn't for Kira. I don't know that I buy that. I think that, you know, certainly we will we'll, we'll talk about the seventh season as a whole and the show as a whole you yeah. know, when we get to the end. But the, the, the seventh season of DS9 does seem to be sort of retconning some of this stuff yeah. in terms of, of interpersonal narrative. And, I mean, I remember Odo staying because the founders were assholes. Not yeah. because, And because, you know, it, it does make... There's a weird biological determinism to this episode, which I think is 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 weird because yeah. one of the reasons why Odo stayed with the Federation and stayed on Deep Space Nine, yes, it is friends and certain. Okay, Kira is a part of it. We know that he's been in love with Kira as far back as Change of Heart in the third season, and yes, yes, blah blah blah. But Odo also does 
have beliefs that are very diametrically opposed to the founders and yeah. the Dominion. And I think the episode minimizes that. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, Odo – Kira says at one point to Odo, like, he must he, – he's seeing – he linked with you, and if he think if he thinks you want to go off with him and, and, and leave, then he must have some ins- – you know, that, that must not be wrong. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. – I th- I th- I think it's more accurate to say Odo has a list of about a dozen reasons why he's staying on DS9. Now, sure. number one right at this particular point in his life is Kira because she's the person he's with all the time. You know, they're they're in a very loving, strong relationship at this point. He's going to be, you know, she's going to be at the top. And then comes, well, this is my job and I have my friends and I don't believe in what the founders are thinking and the uniforms are better. You know, I mean, he has, <laughs> you know, he has a list of, because, uh, you know, yeah. Odo's a complicated person. He's going to have a complicated set of reasons. Yeah. But meanwhile, I mean, listen to, look at where Laz is in, in life. He is enamored of Odo again largely because he's the first other one he met and he has this great dream you know it's as Kira says it's an alluring fantasy in a lot of ways there is something very romantic about Odo and Laz going off and finding the rest of the 100 I want to see that and fucking I want to see that spinoff series yes um and so I think while he's not incorrect, Laz is focusing a little on that because he's jealous. Yeah, he's. I I, I think that's well, really he got, the case. He, I mean, not he, he got spurned. Yeah, he got spurned, and oh, e- even if Odo isn't one hundred percent in place here, he's I'd say eighty percent in place there, and that's more than Laz seems to have gotten. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think so, and I think that might be a good place to leave it. It's a Although I do have one other thing, which is I think maybe this is a false memory. I don't know. But uh, I seem to recall you a long time ago speculating about whether or not the founders can travel through space without a spaceship. Yeah, and and, um, turns out. Turns out they can. Yeah. I liked that. Yeah. thought it was cool. Makes sense. And see, here's my thing. As I said, if founders, if, if changelings can become fire, they can become sperm and that Kira can become pregnant. I actually think that's right. Yeah. Um. I, 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 and, and the episode does address again. Kira is. We does Kira want a kid or not? At this point, have we come to an answer on that? I don't think it's ever been something that the show has been interested in even raising the question. Of. I mean, she was certainly pregnant with O'Brien's kid, and you know, has that that seemed to be a great opportunity to have yeah. some maternal instincts come out. I. I I would say I get the the sense that being essentially an aunt to Molly and Yoshio is you know that's enough for Kira and so I mean to one degree yes she is giving up having a family to be with Odo right. but I don't know if that's a big sacrifice for her and but. I mean this I mean that's the thing is like the episode does go down a road of making this all very um, one dimensional because yeah. you know a lot of people can't have kids and you know they adopt or whatever i was gonna say i mean we we do (laughs) let's look at this the the woman in this couple as well she was a surrogate mother to somebody already (laughs) like there are in in today's society in real life there are a dozen options if you are in a couple that cannot have children so yeah yeah and also i mean let's not you know tease this out too much but you know maybe the same sex angle again is the real same-sex couple is Kira and Odo because they can't have kids. Well, yeah. Anyway. Well, I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. 
If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of Deep Space Nine we just discussed, Field of Fire or Chimera, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow, which supports our other podcast, Tuning In, which we have mentioned twice already, so I will not mention it again, where I just did. Social media, we're on it, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Truck About Show is our name in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truck About. It is the best way for new fans to find the show, especially as we are getting to the end of Deep Space Nine, and we are going to be starting a brand new Star Trek experience. Oh my God, what is it? Oh, you knew that. (laughs) I can't wait to meet Tuvok. It's so close. It's so close. Next week, we are going to be talking about the episodes Bada Bing, Bada Bang. Oh boy. And this is in Latin. Uh, 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 Otherwise known as filler? Uh, (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. And uh, I'm going to butcher this because it's Latin, but uh, Inter Arma Enem Silent Legus, I guess. You didn't butcher it as much as you butchered. Bada bing, bada bang. So. Well, you are Italian. 